It's good to see you all. It's good to see Joey and Molly. They're not here with us this morning. Along with uh, the boy with the ball team, they're having a retreat this weekend, which is uh, very important. And uh, the work that's ongoing with the boy with the ball team is so significant. Uh, I want to say, and I hope that they're watching the live stream. Maybe they're not. But uh, uh, next Sunday, we're going to actually pray for Joey and Molly. Uh, we have, as elders, uh, recognized them as the youth pastor uh, in our church. And um, it has been an ongoing process with our youth team. And we have had some amazing youth workers, youth pastors in our church community. Um, I was one of them. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of me at the time. I was actually thinking of Wade. I was thinking of Nathaniel, thinking of Jamie, and how we have a heritage of working with young people. And the opportunities that we have right now are tremendous. Uh, we have a team that we'll also be praying for that includes Nate and Serene, uh, Wade, um, Joey and Molly, of course, Rocky and Nina, Jen Gomez, uh, Josh and Emily Reap, and Jamie and Kathy Johnson. And I mean, the team is like amazing. It's like the superpower group, you know, it's superheroes of some sort. But this is a group that I believe God has assembled, and we've recognized that Joey is in a place of servant leadership. And listening to them talk about discipleship, I just think that touches my heart. So we're going to pray for them next Sunday. We hope that you'll be able to be here, uh, and we'll be able to stand with them as the Lord is doing something very exciting with our young people uh, in so many different efforts. So I have been looking at this look or this series, Growing Up into Christ, and I want you to take your Bibles or your device and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to get there in just a moment. Uh, I actually kind of had one way I was going to go, and so Joey and Molly were talking that way, and I changed horses midstream. So it still all fits because it's all consistent with God's Word. But, you know, two weeks ago when we started this series, I looked at two verses out of Ephesians 1. And then last week, we came to a grinding halt by looking at just one word, axios, which means worthy. And Paul said, I urge you, brothers, to walk in a manner, axios, worthy, of the call to which you have been called. And you're thinking, oh my word, we've got to get through this series by the month of May. We'll never do it if he goes one word at a time. But don't worry, because now we're going to look at at least one sentence today. So we're, I know it's a snail's pace, right? But wait till you see this one sentence. It is a sentence like no other. In fact, it begins in verse 3 with the word blessed, and it ends with verse 14 with the word glory. It has got to be the greatest run-on sentence ever. In the original Greek word, language, it is 202 words, and there is no punctuation. Amazing. One pastor was so intrigued, he gathered an English teacher in his congregation and had her diagram the sentence, and the paper was 12 feet long to do so. This is Jay's kind of sentence right here. Uh, 
one Bible scholar, E. Norton, he called it the most monstrous sentence conglomeration in all of the Greek language. Well, let's buckle our seats because here we go, Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. I realize we have punctuation in ours. That's just to help us out. He didn't have any punctuation, all right? In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Whew. I am out of breath just reading it. Um, but for Paul, there seems to not be enough words to talk about this wonderful inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. He probably could have picked another 202 words and it still wouldn't have been enough. Paul is doing everything he can to pick every imaginable descriptive word to describe the vastness, the majesty, the magnificence of what God has done for us. And before any of the grammarians start correcting him here this morning, let me remind us, Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote this. Apparently, the Holy Spirit doesn't much care for grammar either. Don't tell that to your teacher. I got some teachers looking at me like, that's not allowed. But apparently, with the Holy Spirit, all things are permissible. Permissible. So what really helps me, though, dissect this, because it's just, it's, it's overwhelming. It kind of blows all my circuits. Does it you? I mean, it's just so rich, so dense. It's like eating fruitcake at Christmas time. I mean, it's just, you know, there's so much in there. You're not even sure you like it, but you just eat it anyway. But this is a dense passage of scripture. And what helps us, I believe, is to see in these verses the indicatives, the indicatives of what God is saying and done. Not 
the imperatives. And what I mean by that, I'm going to explain, but I, I really like the way that Ruth chose Simons, who is doing the women's Bible study, truth-filled. Uh, she's the one that did this Bible study, and our ladies are doing it on Monday nights by Zoom. That's a little commercial. If you're interested, check with Donna or Danny. But she had some really good things to say about the difference between indicatives we find in Scripture and imperatives we find in Scripture. And she said that our human tendency is to focus on the commands God gives us. We tend to look at the do's and don'ts, the imperatives, the things God tells us to do, thinking if we could check those things off, uh, we might get somewhere with him. But Ruth points out that we can't obey those commands if we're not living out the promises of the Bible. That the promises are required for the, in, for the imperatives to happen. That you've got to have indicatives, things God says about us. The truth that he says is about us. That he makes true. Now, as we read the Bible, we're going to find both imperatives and indicatives. But what we must always remember is that what we do for God must come out of who we are in Christ. We can only do it out of being with him. And in order to do these things, we can never see them as being reversed. Every other religion, if you think about it, reverses the order. They give to you a set of ethics, of codes you must live up to before you can receive the promised blessing, but not Jesus. He says, Come to me just as you are. Come to me and receive what I've done for you. And out of what I have done for you, you will then be able to obey me. So back to this run-on sentence. It helps me to look at these verses and see the indicatives, the things God says are true the things that he has established as true about us. And when we look at those indicatives, it helps us to better understand the whole context. There are seven in particular that I want to look at. There's more than that, but there are seven verbs precisely that really help spell out for us all that God has done. Verse three is the first one. He has blessed us. Verse 3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, this Greek word is eulogeo, which is where we get our word eulogy from. Now, where do we do eulogies? Well, uh, typically, it's when somebody's gone. We do it at their funeral. But Paul is giving us permission and even encouraging us to eulogize God because he has eulogized us. He's blessed us. He has given us what is called a blessing, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And it's found in heavenly places, but it's not reserved for only heaven. It's reserved for us now. It is designed in heavenly places for us to be realized even here on planet earth. So he's blessed us. The second indicative is in verse four. Even as he chose us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
Now, let me ask you this question. How many here remember being a kid on the playground and having to go through the horrible experience of not being chosen for a team? Anyone? There's a few hands here. We all remember all the kids lining up. There's two teams, there's two captains, and those captains stand up and they start picking. Who do they pick first? The fastest, the strongest, the most athletic, you know, the most popular. And they keep going down the line. And before too long, there's only a few of us left. And he hadn't picked me yet. I know I may need some inner healing this morning. You may have to pray for me. It's horrible not to be chosen. To not to be chosen for a team or for a job or for that special person or for that special honor at work or wherever. But God chose us. He chose us to be the first, not the last. It's not like we're the leftovers. No, he chose us first. Oh, that indicative will preach right there. That's, he chose me, he chose you. And here's what he did. He did it before the foundations of the world. Before you were even around or even anybody knew your name, before your parents even thought about you, God had chosen you. Before the foundations of the world. The third indicative, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now this, this word predestined relates to the previous word chosen. They're, they're very similar. They almost work hand in hand. Both carry a sense of intention They show us that life is not random. There's somebody behind it all. There's someone who made the plan. There's someone who will enact the plan. Predestined means to mark a boundary or to set a limit, like you would put a fence up on your property to determine what scope you have responsibility over. There's a fence over there on that side of our property. And that tells me that beyond that is not our responsibility. That's good because we barely have a hard, we have a hard time taking responsibility for what we have. I mean, when trees fall, I think, okay, we got to deal with that. But that's their responsibility. There was a tree that fell last year in a storm. It was on their property. It broke the fence. That was their responsibility. The predestined idea is the boundary God has set for you. And it's in that area that he determines for you to live. But in trying to understand this word, Christians have gotten into some trouble. They uh, actually, they fight with each other about this. And there's a thing called uh, predestination theology that really can get wonky. Uh, it can get out of hands, out of hand. Christians, uh, they, they have all this fight and angst about these things and knowing the interpretation of them. And then really at the, at the root of it is their consternation over whether they might mess it all up or whether they might miss out on God's will for their life. Eugene Peterson says the problem with predestination and the way people look at it is when very learned people decontextualize and depersonalize the word so that it is flattened, emptied of mystery into a blueprint that determines the way we will live our lives in each detail. I could take months, years, talking about this one thing. 
I promise you I'm not going to. But we need to understand that Paul, when he tells us we are predestined as adoption, as sons and daughters through Christ, it's less about us calculating the plan and what that might mean. And it's more about us adoring the one who planned it. Figuring his blueprint out is not what he's after. Adoring him because he has a plan in the first place is. So the, the fourth indicative after he blessed us, he chose us, he predestined us is uh, actually a very poor translation in the English Standard Version Bible. Um, that's the Bible that I typically use. Um, they reuse the word blessed again. And it's not the same as what was used earlier. It's in verse 6. But it's not the same Greek word, and, and it really misleads the reader. Other translations use this word, and they call it favored, which I have a little more comfort with because this particular word is only used twice in the New Testament. And the other time is when Gabriel meets Mary and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But I think my favorite translation that helps me get a handle on this indicative of the Lord is found in the New American Standard Bible, the original 1995 version. In verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. I love that. He freely, liberally, bestowed, gave us. He poured out his grace upon us. We are drenched in it. Peterson calls it an exuberant artesian well eruption of grace. It is so overwhelming. It's the flow we have to get into. And he says it's something on the order of St. John's classic reference to Jesus. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace so he has chosen he has blessed us he has chosen us he's predestined us he has bestowed on us his grace fifth verse seven in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us oh i love that word and so does paul you see, the earlier word bestowed is only used twice. This word, in some form or fashion, 78 times in the New Testament. And of those 78 times, Paul did it 45. He loves this word. And I think, why does Paul love this word? He lavished upon us because I think Paul knows God is not stingy, He is generous. He loves to lavish. I was talking to Donna about this this morning. She said, you know, these people that listened to this first writing, this letter, they had so much need. They didn't have the abundance and the extravagance that we have as Americans. They, in many cases, their, their livelihood could have been taken from them for following Christ. They had to live communally. They might not have enough to eat. They might not have adequate shelter. They might be limited, restrained, kept down. And yet Paul says, God has lavished upon you. When you're in need, the lavishment of God is really encouraging. 
Lavish is his favorite word. There's a sixth indicative. So he said, right, blessed, chosen, predestined, bestowed on, lavished upon, and now in verse 9, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Making known to us the mystery. My wife, uh, she likes to read and watch mysteries. Um, I don't. She likes them. She likes uh, watching them or reading them because as she does, she looks for clues herself. She's trying to figure it out before even it gets to the point. Anybody else here like to do that? Yeah, there's a few others. All right, there's some pointing at others. Yeah. Hermania said Ed likes to do that. So I, I know that Rebecca Yoder, she likes to go to these, uh, these rooms, escape rooms. Yeah. So it's like you have to look for the clues and you figure out and you get the clues and then the doors open or whatever. That just sounds terrifying to me. I, I like, what? Lock me up? And I have to figure out how to get out of there? But this is what Paul is saying. He has made known to us the mystery. And so my wife, when she's checking for clues and she's trying to figure out everything about it and trying to piece it all together and figure out to solve it, I think that's what Christians do with the Christian faith. It's like they get in the Bible and they pick things out and then they, they figure it out and they, they line up their theology and then they argue with other people about it because they're right and that other person's wrong. They try to intellectualize this thing that is only possible by what God does for us. He's the one. He's the one in all wisdom and insight that makes known to us the mystery of his will. And I think of it when Jesus said that he would send the the Holy Spirit. and, And Patrick read this this morning was so good. The Holy Spirit is given to us to lead us into all wisdom and truth and that's what we takes it doesn't take us figuring it out intellectually it takes us experiencing the holy spirit to know the mystery of his will so you see these these uh these indicatives that god is giving to us he's blessed us he's chosen us he has predestined us he has bestowed on us he has lavished upon us and he has made known to us the mysteries of his will and finally the seventh one i want to look at comes from verse 10 to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth now this doesn't seem to have the same kind of punch that those others did and yet when you see that word unite think of He gathered us all up. He gathered us up. Everything on heaven, in heaven and on earth, he is gathering to himself. Paul invites us to imagine a new reality in which heaven and earth are gathered up. All of those who have responded to him, they are gathered up under the rule of Christ. And we know this to be the kingdom of God. Look what God has done. These theological indicatives, the things God has made happen, the truths he has set into motion, the things that he did for us, 
He blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us. He bestowed on us and lavished upon us. He made known to us and he gathered us. These theological indicatives, they help us because the imperatives are coming. The instructions about how we should then walk this out, they're going to show up in this letter that Paul's writing. He's going to get there. He's going to tell us things about taking off the old self and putting on the new self, about how we're to treat authority, about how we're to treat our husbands and our wives, about how we're to put on the armor of God. He's going to get to some things that we're going to have to do, but we don't get to do them until we receive what he already did. It's out of what he does that we're able to do what we must do. So, we walk out this Christian life first not by what we can do, but first by what he has done for us. His indicatives make all the imperatives possible. God has blessed us and chosen us, predestined us, bestowed, lavished upon us his grace. He's made known the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time when he would gather everything up to himself in heaven and on earth. And he would wrap it all up with a nice big bow and he would turn and hand it to the Father. And he would sit down on the throne and reign forevermore. And we'll be there with him when he does. As we continue our look in the book of Ephesians. I want you to remember the indicatives, what God has done, the things he has done and made true for us. Because later when we get to the imperatives, the things that we must do to walk it out, we're going to need to have it coming out of what he's already done for us. As we do this, we'll be reminded, God, what you did for me enables me to obey you. And do things for you. Amen. I felt like what Molly and Joey shared at the beginning was really actually a great lead in because what they emphasized is that it is the knowing of Him that produces all the other stuff. We're not disciples because of what we do. We're disciples because we're in fellowship with him right. constantly and completely. Um, and so I just wanted to read a quick verse really before we pray. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5.20 Our attitude towards the truth determines the outcome of our lives. These truths that Chris has shared today are such a small portion of the all truth that the Holy Spirit leads us into. But they are true. They are truths about him who is true. So what will the result of our loving truth be? 
that we are transformed from who we are by nature into the life of Jesus that will be manifested in us to the glory of God the Father. So my prayer for us today is that we learn to love the truth, the indicatives that Chris was sharing, and that we start searching scripture for those things because every bit of it is designed to be protection against sin, protection against deception. Right. It's designed to be our, um, our armor yes. because life gets hard. Yeah. It's designed to be the heartbeat of our lives, the rhythm, the balance that leads to the value that Chris was talking about last week, the axios. Yeah. So. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power and the love of your truth the truth about who you are that settles all the other truths, that is preeminent against any other fact or reality. We want to drink in these indicatives until they become our own personal truth. That they would, as Joey said, change the way we are, change the way we live, change the way we, we love each other change our ability to be useful to the master. Yes, Lord. Father, write these truths on our hearts as you have promised. Engrave them on us until we are transformed yes. into your likeness. Yes. Lord, what you've done for us is what enables us to even come to you. Um but we're so grateful that you don't require us to get our act together before we come. You never required us to get, to get cleaned up before we would come and be cleansed. You said, come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You said, come. And you would find uh, possessions and, and provision that you never even had to purchase. So we come to you, Lord. And we ask that you would more fully put into our hearts and build in our lives the things you have done. As Donna prayed, the things that would make us who we are. We know that you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We know that you've chosen us. You picked us from before the foundations of the world. We know that you predestined us and that that's more about your your mystery and your glory and the fact that you have a plan that it us all figuring it out. And we know that you bestowed upon us grace and it is lavished on us to the point that we're drenched. We're so full of your grace. We know that you've made known to us the glorious riches of the mystery of your will. And we know, Lord, that you are gathering us up. We commit ourselves to you and ask that these things will be evident in our lives in Jesus' name we pray, amen.